As a boy, I used to discuss with my friends, you may have done this too, who would win? And the battle was something like Superman versus Spider-Man. Who would win that battle? Batman versus the Incredible Hulk. I found hours entertainment in that one. And you can discuss the merits, can't you, of various superpowers and so on that each had over the other and who would win. It's hours of fun. Please try it tonight. Let me give you another scenario, though. Another arena of power, if you like. In one corner, you have a concrete pavement, much like the one that you walked along to get into this building. Concrete pavement in the red corner. And in the blue corner, you have a mustard seed. It's one to two millimetres in diameter. Now, we know there is no contest to it, uh, in this, you know, these two inanimate objects. And if they come together in a, in a kind of a crash, there is one winner, and that is the concrete pavement. Only that can win. I mean, it's much like Peter Parker would be against the Kryptonian powers of Superman. But we can talk about that one later, if you like. Concrete per, uh, pavement versus seed, though, in that explosive battle, when if you bring those two together... There is only one winner. But what happens if you place that little seed that's one millimetre, two millimetres in diameter, and you place it under the concrete? And you wait. There is only one winner there. You can see the pavements of Wandsworth, a litter of examples as you trip over them when you're going for a run. But the, the seed always wins if it's in the soil. It will one day break through. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? It is like that. Now let me take you back a little bit of background. Jesus has come. He's proclaimed to the whole world that the kingdom of God is near. And general expectation of this was that he was going to come in and he was going to smash everyone. He was going to be the great power. And that God would then again establish his kingdom on earth as it was previously known. Of course, that was as a political ruling power. People were hacked off with the powers that that had been Babylonian, Assyrian, Greek, and now Roman. They were not happy, and they wanted God to establish his power, a kingdom on earth, with a king, one to rule, one with a big temple, big, you know, kind of, who would decree things with armies that would have victories and would defeat people with a visible presence of this kingdom on earth. They wanted change and they wanted it bam, fast. And the signs have been there in Jesus. They could see there's a potential king right in front of us here. Jesus, in the previous section, if you just cast your eyes back, a couple of verses, he'd healed this this crippled lady and he demonstrated huge power and authority in doing that. Jesus, in the mind's eye of the people there, was a potential king for the kind of kingdom that they wanted. So what does Jesus do? In these very short two little parables here, he is going to demonstrate to them exactly what the kingdom of God is like. Now sadly in our translation, verse 18 actually begins in the original with a therefore. It is not there, unfortunately. But what it does is it links the delight, the kind of the excitement, the expectation of the people. They'd seen this crippled woman healed and all of that expectation, Jesus then says, therefore... 
That's your expectation. This is what the kingdom of God is really going to be like. And he shows them in these two little parables, verses 18 to 21. So what is the kingdom of God like? Well, we know the people's expectation. And we, we need to know what the reality is there. Before we answer that question, let's just take one step back because we need to know what the kingdom of God is before we need to know the nature of it. So what is the kingdom of God? Now, for us now, that is what it is to be a Christian because we are no longer in a geographical kingdom as the kingdom of God was then. The kingdom of God is now a spiritual kingdom and it is made up of the subjects or the followers of the king. We, we put ourselves under his rule. We submit ourselves to that loving rule of God, our king. Christians are part of a kingdom. Yes, we are. A spiritual kingdom. But also the kingdom of God is part of us. Let me explain, if I can. In our culture, I think Christianity, it, it's kind of understood as, as one of just loads of different alternatives, ways of thinking, kind of religions in this world, isn't it? Therefore, Christianity is reduced, in, in a sense, to a set of ideas and ideals, you know, ways of thinking and ways of living, amongst many others. And you kind of, some people would say, say they, they, that's the one I like, and some people say, I don't like that one. So people come to Christianity as they would, uh, excuse me, you'll understand a bit about me here, as, as they would a kind of a set menu of a Chinese restaurant where they're trying to get a cheap lunch. You know what I mean? You get kind of menu A, menu B, menu C, menu D, and, you know, all for a fiver, and you get those kind of set menus, don't you? Katie's nodding, she knows what I'm talking about here. Um, But, you know, there are kind of four available menus. And, you know, one is Buddhism, one is Christianity, one is Islam, and so on. And you see in menu one, the people will look down, they'll say, I like the spring rolls, I'm not sure about the chow mein. And and then they will kind of move on and, and, and sort of see which one fits their needs, their wants, their desires best at that particular time in their life. And it's the same way that people approach the Christian faith, as they do all religions. Of all the set menus, they say, I like menu A over menu B. And that seems to fit my life at the moment. And so people adopt menu A. They say, I'm a menu A person. I'm going to have menu A. And they adopt the ideas and the ideals of that. Now you, let me explain. You can't accept, if you like, menu A. Christianity. Everything, you can accept everything the Bible teaches. You can understand it in its most comprehensive detail. You can even defend menu A to all your friends. This is the best menu of them all, and so on. But if you are here today, and if that is all the Christian life is to you, if that is all the Christian faith is, if the kingdom of God is just only an acceptance of ideas and ideals, then you have not received the kingdom of God. And you are not part of it. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 is really helpful. Do note it down if you want to have a look later. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says to the Corinthian church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not just a matter of accepting a a certain menu on, on the sheet in front of you. A bunch of ideas and ideals. 
The kingdom of God, he says, is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God, being a Christian, it's not just accepting a truth, it is knowing a power. Paul said in Romans 1, you'll know this verse very well, we're looking at next year in our groups. Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is, what? A set of truths which I need to live by? What is that? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, of course, acceptance of beliefs, the way of living, is, is, it's an expression of that saving power, isn't it? But ultimately, boil it down, the Christian faith being, being a member of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God being you, it is in its essence a power. There are different ways that the New Testament puts this. That power is implanted in us as the Spirit is indwells in our hearts. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Peter says, we've been born again. That phrase is a, is a way of describing that power coming into us. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living, enduring word of God. John 3 verse 5, the story of Nicodemus, you'll know it well. It says, no one could enter the kingdom of God. What? Unless they believe and live in a certain way. That is true, but unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. See, the kingdom of God is a power. And the power is to know eternal life within you. As the Spirit comes in you, the, the, the divine being of God enters you. Being in the kingdom of God is a power. And there are so many people in churches around this country, around the world... Who, who may think like Christians, who may act like Christians to a certain degree, but they cannot see this power at work within them. And if that is the case, they can have no assurance that they are heaven-bound. So how can you tell? Well, I, we all need to look at our own lives, don't we? And we need, to, we need to examine and say, are there kind of those remarkable things, those things that we just can't explain, how they happened, that we can only attribute to that power of God at work within us? And they can be things about how we think, how we act, um, you know, the way that we feel about various things, all sorts of things. But sometimes we look at those aspects of our lives and we go, well, that wasn't down to me how I changed. I can't explain it, but it wasn't down to me. Well, that's the power of God. It has changed you over time. It is the kingdom of God in you. It is a power. See, as a Christian, you're not only in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is also in you. And what is it like? It is a power. And Jesus is about to illustrate that power in these two tiny parables that we have before us in Luke 13. Now why is this so important? It's always good to ask that question, isn't it, before we kind of come to God's word. Why is that so important? I guess because like the people of the time who were hearing this parable firsthand, we also have varying expectations of what the Christian life looks like, what it is to be in the kingdom of God. Now we may have been a Christian for many, many years and we've seen the power of the kingdom of God work within us. But perhaps now life is just a little bit tough. Something's come your way and you're just feeling under the cosh a bit. 
Circumstances haven't gone as we may have imagined them 10 years ago. You may have experienced an illness, a loss, uh, a depression, a loneliness, an insecurity, whatever. God's transforming power may seem just millions of miles away right now. And you look around and you see others growing and you feel weak and you, over, you feel just overwhelmed by that big thing that seems so big in your life. But as we saw last week, you just may not even see it at all. You just may be blinded by the money that you have, by the career that you have. Not that they're bad, intrinsically bad things at all, as we saw last week. Your bank balance may be growing very, very nicely, but you are resisting God's power at work within you. Oh, you may have been only a Christian for a, for a couple of months. Maybe, maybe you feel a young Christian and you've seen God's work in, in, within you, but, but you're wondering, what's your expectation for the future? What about 10 years down the line? What if this happens in my life? What are your expectations? Well, that is why these tiny parables are so important. Because they realign our expectations of what it is to be a Christian of what it is to be part of the kingdom of God and what we should aim for and delight in. So what is the Christian life like? What is the kingdom of God like? Look at verse 19 with me if you can. Just to remind ourselves, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds in the air perched in its branches. So to our first point, I'll put it on your sheets there. A mustard seed... Expect extraordinary growth. I think that's what we see from this uh, first little parable. There's something remarkable, isn't there? Utterly extraordinary here about the growth of the mustard seed. It's the tiniest of seeds. I am no biologist, by the way. You'll, you'll kind of get this as we go on. But apparently it's about one to two millimetres wide. A little mustard seed. But the point is here, if, if it's placed in a, in a place of nourishment, it grows. And the growth is extraordinary. Apparently that is a mustard tree. I wouldn't have a clue, but that's what Google told me. Some commentators who know something about all this kind of organic biological growth describe what occurs is as a seed, when it's placed in a place of nourishment, it, it, it grows to a new dimension of life. The seed could, of course, just remain that tiny, tiny seed for years and years, but with the nourishment it gets, it grows, and it grows such that... As it looks to its previous existence as that tiny seed, tree to, you know, tiny, tiny seed. Just to be a seed is just utterly insignificant, isn't it? It's grown so far beyond it. The seed takes these massive organic leaps as, as a seed, kind of me, as a seed, the, the, the tree merely existed, essentially. And now it grows, and look at it, it's massive. It responds to the climate, it provides shelter and kind of refuge for, for all the birds and so on. I mean, if a tree could look back and ponder, you have to use your imagination there, but if a tree could, it would see its life before as this tiny seed, it's just mere existence, if not, not life at all. And that's the case for the world around us. As you move from plants to animals to kind of humanity, the complexity of our responses grow and grow, don't they? Plants can only respond to stimulus, can't they? You know, they're, they're completely automatic. The sun shines, they respond. Thank you very much, and so on. And animals, they're, they're less automatic. Pavlov and his dogs kind of proved otherwise a little bit, but you get the idea. They're less automatic than just plants. 
But humans, we have the ability, don't we, to choose and how we respond to stimuluses around us. For example, if you give food and nutrients to a plant, it can't say no. Its response is automatic. Even if it rains and rains and rains, it will drown itself. It will just keep on consuming. An animal is less automatic, but if you stick monkey, uh, monkeys in front of a whole bunch of bananas, you, you know the response. That it's an automatic thing. It's less than a plant, but it's, you know, and so on. Now, you can see how this illustration is about to nosedive, can't you, with humanity. But, um, you know, we, we actually, if you put a box of Krispy Kremes in front of me, I have the ability to choose. Some might argue with that, but you know what I mean. We have the ability to restrain ourselves. The same is true of how we think, of how we feel. What I'm saying here is humanity is in a higher order of creation. In terms of thinking, we can know right and wrong. Injustice, injustice. In terms of our feelings, well, we can weep at loss. And can we rejoice in gain? See, our our responses are so far beyond the plant life and the, the animal life of this world. Such that if, if we were only able to feel and think and do as an animal or a plant, then we would consider that just mere existence, if not life at all. Now you see the point. Mustard seed to tree, as it spreads out its branches and provides shelter for the, for the birds of the air, that is extraordinary leap in kind of organic growth. The seed has been raised to this whole new order of life. It is still a plant, but is is grown in this extraordinary way. And the, the point of the parable is the kingdom of God is like that. Being a Christian is like that. How? What it's saying is that Christians have been raised to this whole new order of life. The kingdom of God is, is transforming us, has transformed us. We were once dead in our sins. Now we've been made alive in Christ. So we have eternal life in our beings. The Spirit has come and dwelt in our hearts. It is a whole new order of life. We see things and we feel things. And we do things that we've never ever been able to do and feel and think before. And we experience and we know and we feel the love of God and the work of Christ on the cross. We know that more fully and we respond to it more fully. We have the ability to break habits that we were once completely addicted to. But I guess the most obvious thing is that we feel God in our hearts. One uh, commentator, a very famous commentator, put it this way. He said, you can buy a pet and that will fill a hole in your heart. But he said, nothing like a child will. Nothing like a spouse will. And nothing like God will. Until you know this power of God in your heart, you really do not know how to feel, think or act. Because that is what you were made for. You don't know what you're capable of thinking or feeling or doing until the kingdom of God is in you as that power Being a Christian raises you to a whole new magnitude of life. So being a Christian, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's planted in a garden. 
And we should expect this massive, extraordinary growth. A complete change in our lives, how we think, how we feel, how we behave. But should we expect everything to just go boom overnight? No. Because both the mustard seed and the yeast, more obviously, they show us that the growth, though it is extraordinary, it is also gradual. It is like any organic growth. It will be slow and it will be steady. So second point there, the yeast in the dough. So we should expect gradual growth. The progress of the gospel, the kingdom of God in the heart of a Christian is like, and let's look at it, verse 21. Let's follow with me. Yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The yeast here, the spirit, the kingdom of God comes into the dough and it doesn't replace the dough. Notice that. Rather, it transforms the dough into its likeness. In the same way, when the Spirit of God enters us, it doesn't replace us. It doesn't kind of like just get rid of our personality, all of our gifts, all the attributes that we have. No, rather what it does, God himself, his love, his care, his strength, his holiness comes inside us and like the yeast, rises and takes us with him. We gradually become as we were designed to be, as we were created to be. And when God first begins to work in someone, it can seem like so small things, can't it? Like this tiny bit of yeast in this huge, big, sinful, doughy kind of mass that we are. Um, and we're God resisting dough, whatever. Use your imaginations there. But when God begins to work in someone's life, that can happen in such small ways, can't it? Just a, a tiny sentence of, of a talk or, you know, reading one little verse of the Bible or just a Christian friend mentioning one attribute of God or, or just a kindness that a Christian has shown you but can begin those little yeast um, kind of beginnings in the dough. But once that yeast is planted in someone and, and once the power of the kingdom of God enters us, we should expect a progress that will never stand still. Going back to the illustration at the beginning, think seed and concrete again, if you like. It's being well watered right now. There is no contest, is there, as you crash them together. The concrete will always win in that battle. But if you place a tiny mustard seed right now underneath that pavement outside into the soil and wait patiently, there can only be one winner. For in years, going back to that our previous picture, the dough won't come out of the pavement. That would be, be slightly weird, wouldn't it? But yeah, the mustard seed, the mustard tree will appear. The seed will eventually just break through that pavement and it will win. The kingdom of God, that power within Christian grows and it is often hidden, isn't it? It's very gradual sometimes. But it is relentless. It will win and it will one day take you home. Now let me conclude with some uh, pretty obvious, I hope, applications. Firstly, how can you tell that you are a Christian? 
You could tell because you will see growth in your life. In the way you think. You think about the truths of God that you know from reading his word. They perhaps have come from being concepts which you've just learnt about as you've done your little Bible studies, you know, as I do with my boys, and so on. But they, they move from the conceptual to, to things that utterly thrill you. That you wake up in the morning and you think, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he achieved, that thrills me, that excites me. That is what is going to define my day. They become more real to you than they ever have been before. Obviously, that will transform the way you live. If you, you want to know you're a Christian, look at your life as well. God's love and the gift of his son, that relentless work of the spirit in your lives, they become more real to you and they change the way you live because you become less animalistic, less kind of stimulus response. You actually have the will to say no to things that you want to, that will be pleasing to God. You, because you've been raised to this new level of humanity. You can choose, and I'm going to shout even more soon because this rain is getting quite big. You can honour God more than you've ever done before. But what happens when the circumstances of your life change? When things aren't working out as you might have imagined. Maybe you're going through some difficult times. You're alone or perhaps you're with someone and it's a struggle. Life can be like that, it's hard. See, the way that you know that you're a Christian is that these things will come your way, the struggles of life. Of course they will. That is inevitable. But through those times of struggle, the love and the mercy of God, those things that you know, they will be bigger to you than actually the struggle itself. One commentator put it this way. He said, why do you worry? Because the threats of life are more real to you than the wisdom and the love of God. <laughs> Bitterness is something that kind of, kind of gets to some, as well, some of us as well, can't it? Why are you bitter? You've got to ask yourself that. Well, probably because the mercy of God is not as real to you as those things that people have done to you that have made you bitter. Maybe an argument at work or whatever it may be. You see, if what Jesus has done is bigger, more real to you in your life than the things that people have done to you or the circumstances in your life that have happened to you, then what do you find? If Jesus is bigger to you, you have the ability of Jesus, that is to forgive. And the bitterness dissipates. What about if you find yourself and you're in a low situation? Maybe you even suffer from depression. Because of what people have said to you, or probably if you suffer from depression, what you've said to yourself more often than not. See, those things that you've heard people say, or you've said to yourself, they've become bigger than the things that Jesus has said to you. And Jesus said, I love you. And I've laid down my life for you. And you're mine, and no one can snatch you out of my hands. You see, if what Jesus has said to you is bigger, more real, then you will begin to grow. That lowness that you feel in life now will, yeah, it might just get better. It might not completely get better, but it might. You are not controlled by your circumstances and what people say. 
if the kingdom of God is in you. Now you may be searching for circumstances in your life and feelings in your life and you may look in all sorts of places. It could be through accruing finance and all that kind of stuff, money. It could be in relationships. You may be searching in all sorts of places but until the love of God in Christ is the most real, the biggest thing to you in the whole of your life, you will only feel frustration and sadness and wanting more. God loves you and he loves you so much. He loves loves you as much as he loves his own son. And when the kingdom of God is in you, that feeling of being the most precious thing is the feeling that you've been made for and there is no greater feeling that you can possibly know. And that is what we need to nurture in our lives and feed in our lives. We do so through the word of God through the people of God, and through relationship with God. If that is not you, if you're here today and you say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, this is all pretty crazy and new stuff to me, then know today that you can walk into this room as one person and you can leave as someone completely different, utterly transformed, taken to a newer dimension in your life, because God can plant his seed in you today if you want it. Now, you may not understand everything, but you see this power in those around you. You've probably been brought here, if you're here, and you've seen it in those people. And if you want it, ask for it. Ask questions of it. Because all you need to do is ask Jesus. And it may look ridiculous, this kind of like seed planted that we've been talking about, and that will grow and not stop growing. But one day, it will crack through the pavement of this life and take you to eternity to be with God. It will break through all the struggles. It will break through all the difficulties that you may know. Because eternity is within you if you trusted in Jesus and asked him to be your life. Impossible? Yes. Utterly impossible. But in Christ, no. Because all things are, impossible. All things are possible with Christ. And if you think this transformation from tree to, sorry, seed to tree is utterly ridiculous then you need to look at Jesus. He is the the one who transformed from having all power to having no power, and he did it for you when he died on the cross. He's the one who had all power when he spoke, that the world was created when he opened his mouth, but yet took his power away when he died on the cross and was utterly silent with nails driven through his wrists and his ankles. And if you're willing to acknowledge your weakness before him, you can get that strength. Because that is the great news of the cross. It is essentially a a swap of weakness and strength. If you're willing to come before Jesus in your weakness, he is willing to offer you his strength. You need to trust him. An imperishable eternal seed will be planted in you that will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow, and one day, it will break through that concrete pavement of all the struggles in your life, and you will meet God face to face in eternity. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, when we sometimes read stories like this, parables like this, we want you to answer straight. We just want you to say the kingdom of God is like and tell us straight. But you give us these glorious pictures. And in them is meaning that on face value that sometimes we, we just don't see, but we thank you for their depth. We thank you for all the assurance that they bring that we know through the mustard seed that, that it grows just in such an extraordinary way. And that is what we should know and expect as those as part of the kingdom of God. That we've been raised to this new life, born again with the Spirit of God in our hearts. We thank you for that glorious truth. And, and we thank you that though we are frustrated sometimes as we plod through this life, growing gradually, we thank you that these expectations have been if I, realigned by the, the little power of the yeast in the dough. That it's okay to plod. That it's okay to just gradually grow and become more and more like the, your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we're not alone in that. Thank you for the spirit in us, that power within us. And we pray that we would wholly depend on that and feed that as we trust and read your word. Amen.